Welcome, everyone. You are listening to Truth in Christ Radio, the Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Is there something that you're praying for right now that you're frustrated with? Maybe you've been praying for it for years, like I have for my family. I'll be honest with you. I've gotten to the point where I've stopped praying for certain things. And the Lord's encouraged me, don't stop praying. (laughs) It's been a long time, Rob. You keep praying. Don't give up. Persevere. But Elijah didn't give up. He persevered. We're exhorted in Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio. Today, Pastor Rob finalizes the book of James with the teaching on how we all in the body of Christ can meet specific needs of others within that body. James's first admonition to us is to pray for one another. Pastor Rob teaches us that we as Christians should be a praying people. We know that God wishes to have a relationship with us, and in order to strengthen that relationship, we must communicate with God through prayer. Today's scripture gives us an excellent example in Elijah. Let's listen to Pastor Rob as he concludes the book of James. But going on to verse 13, James goes on, he says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. And we ought to weep with those who weep and and rejoice with those who rejoice. And boy, it's such a wonderful thing when you can have a brother or sister that's going through a difficult thing and you can draw alongside them and you can cry with them privately. You can just get together with them. You can cry with them and you can rejoice with them over something great that has happened, a a job promotion. Maybe you're just getting a new job, and now it pays triple what you were getting before, and now you can pay your kids' tuition at a local Christian school, and you're overjoyed. Now you can provide for yourself, and you're overjoyed. Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms, and we ought to sing psalms. Is any among you sick? Verse 14, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. The idea is not save him you know, in the sense of salvation, but it will preserve him. The Greek word is sozo. It's, it just means to deliver or to, um, to give deliverance from. So in the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And, he, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I love in Matthew chapter 9. This is one of my favorite passages in Matthew. It says, Jesus got into a boat and he crossed over. And he came to his own city. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Hmm, That's kind of interesting. If I'm paralytic and I'm coming before you, I would have expected 
raise up and walk, right? But he said, your sins are forgiven. Hmm. And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, verse 3, this man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, says, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, Arise and take up your bed and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. I love it. When the multitudes saw it, they marveled, and then they glorified God who had given such power to men. You know, as they were looking around at this man, Jesus saying, your sins are forgiven, isn't that the greater thing? Who can forgive sins? Nobody but God. You might be able to give medicine to a man who is wounded to bring him to health again. That's an easier thing for man to do. But God looks upon this man, he says, you know what, your real problem is your sin. And I forgive you of your sin. And they got all indignant. And I love what Jesus did. Because you can't tell the miracle. When Jesus says, I forgive you of your sin, you can't see that with your eye, can you? I can say you've been forgiven all day long. There's no way to prove it. But what Jesus does is he backs it up with a miracle. And that's usually what miracles are used for, is to confirm the word of God. They're not just done to make everybody happy into some kind of show. That's what Herod wanted from Jesus. when He he wanted to meet Jesus, that he might do some miracle before him. Jesus is not some entertainer. He's not some uh, master of ceremonies at the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey Circus. He's not going to stand there with a whistle and make lions jump through hoops of fire. The harder thing was your sins are forgiven, but that you may know <laughs> that I have the power to do all of this and much, much more. Rise up and take your bed and walk. And this man stood up whole again. Now they're looking at him going, oh my, who is this? Only God can do this. Well, duh. <laughs> I've actually written in my Bible, duh. <laughs> of course, he's God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Right? Hallelujah. That's right. <laughs> Verse 16, he says, in James now, he says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And you remember what Job did? We were just looking at the book of Job. At the very end, in that, in that very last chapter, I love what it says, and we're just going to look at verses 5 through 10. The effectual, fervent prayer prayer of a righteous man avails much. Notice what happened in chapter 42, beginning in verse 5. Job says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And so it was, after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, who was one of Job's friends, his unprofitable friends, uncomforting friends, God says to him, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, and my servant Job has. Now therefore take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant, and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall do what? He'll pray for you. He'll pray for you. God saw him righteous, not because he was perfect. He did the right things, though. Every day he would make sacrifices for his kids before they were killed. Remember in the first couple of chapters, he would wake up every morning just in case they had sinned. He would make offerings on behalf of them. This man was righteous in God's sight. And he was a trophy of God's 
faithfulness and grace. And that's why God could say, have you considered my servant Job? And the devil's like, I could do so much to him, and he's just going to curse you to, to, to your face. God says, try it. Go for it. But don't touch him. And then later on, after he loses everything, the devil comes back again and says, yeah, you can take everything away from him, but if you allow me to touch his body, he'll curse you to your face. God says, okay, try it. He knew what was inside Job. Job didn't even know at the time what was inside of him. But God knew, and he knows what's inside of you. He knows how far that rubber band can stretch. You know, I think we should change our logo. <laughs> Instead of the, the dove with the, with the wheat and the Bible, let's just have a big rubber band stretched out like that with a little motion around it like it's at the brink. No, he knows how far he can take you. And he puts you in places that are over your head. He stretches you so much, and you're like, God, if you do another thing, I'm going to die just like he did with Job. But Job prayed for his friends. He says, For I will accept him, lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. And I love what it says in verse 10. It says, The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before, twice as much, because he prayed for his friends. And he did it after he prayed with his friends, prayed for his friends. In verse 17, back in James, he says, Elijah was a man of like a, a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. So three and a half years, Elijah prays. And this is recorded for us in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. He prays for a drought because Ahab was one of the most wicked kings of Israel that they've ever had one of the most wicked kings, and God was going to get their attention. And he always did that through physical means to, to make them aware that when you're obedient to me, God says, I'm going to bless your land. I'm going to bless your crops. I'm going to bless your livestock. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be, unfru- you're going to be fruitful if you obey me. Your women are going to be uh, fruitful. Many kids, many flocks, many bushels of wheat, etc., And when God was upset with them and they were going in a direction that he knew was going to destroy them, he says, I'm going to withhold the water from the land and I'm going to get their attention. And sometimes God's got to do that. He's got to withhold things to get our attention, not because he's angry or mad with us, but he he chastens those whom he loves, doesn't he? And so the drought is for three and a half months. And there came a point in 1 Kings chapter 18 when the drought was ending after those three and a half years Elijah said to Ahab, Go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. And so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, Mount Carmel. And there, notice, he bowed to the ground and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, Go look now toward the sea. And if you've been on Mount Carmel in Israel, it's a beautiful place. The clay is nice and red. You remember that for those of you who have been? It's very red, very rich, very dense, beautiful land, and you're right there on the Mediterranean. You can get up on top of uh, that, that mountain there, and you can look at Mount Carmel and look over into the Mediterranean Sea and see exactly what Elijah was looking at. So he says, he told his servant, go and look toward the sea. So he went and he looked, and he said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. He prayed, go, go take a look. Nothing there. Okay. He prayed, go, now take another look. He did this seven times. See, after the first or second time, maybe the third time, I'd be like, you know what? I don't think God is in this. 
I'm not going to persevere in prayer. He's not going to do it. Done. I'm just going to go home. <laughs> then it came to pass the seventh time that he said, verse 44, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go and say to, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot, and you better get out of here because the rain's coming after you, buddy. <laughs> In verse 45, it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. And then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah. He girded up his loins, and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. And you know, the, right, the, 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 prayers of a, the fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. He didn't give up after the second or third time. Is there something that you're praying for right now that you're frustrated with? Maybe you've been praying for it for years, like I have for my family. I'll be honest with you, I, I've gotten to the point where I, I, I've stopped praying for certain things. And the Lord's encouraged me, don't stop praying. <laughs> it's been a long time, Rob. You keep praying. Don't give up. Persevere. But Elijah didn't give up. He persevered. We're exhorted in Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning Christ Jesus for you. You know, let's be a praying people. You know, I, again, I want to invite you to come on Tuesday nights at 7 o'clock. I know, you know, it, it really doesn't make a difference what night we do it on, honestly, because, you know, in, in my own life, there's always something that's going to come up. There's always something I'm going to want to do, but I'm pleading to you to come to the prayer meetings. You know, there's a, there's a room right across from the back uh, doors here. It's our prayer room. You know, before the service, you know, consider going in there and just praying. There's three or four people in there every Sunday. I would love to see that just packed out because, you know, the, the effectiveness of this fellowship is going to be based on how we pray and what we do in that regard. And it's changing me. But it's the truth. And God wants us to pray. Would you join us in prayer on Sunday or on uh, Tuesday night? If you can only stay for 15 minutes, that's okay. You don't have to stay for the full hour. We usually stay there for about an hour. Come and pray with us. 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, a half hour, 45 minutes. Stay for the full hour. Not out of some kind of legalism, okay? It's just good for us. God wants to bless us and... It's a funny thing. He wants that communion with us. But how bad do I really want that? I've got to die to myself, my own schedule. I've got to say, Lord, I'm, I want to do this. I want to just relax, Lord. It's cold outside. <laughs> it is. You know how it is. This time of year, it gets, it's nighttime by 4.30. And you eat dinner, and you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs, and you're thinking, boy, it's cold and nasty outside. Well, come up. We got coffee. You can you can sit here, and we'll keep the light on for you, and we'll we'll pray together. In verse nineteen, he goes on and he says, "Brethren, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins." And isn't that what Jesus was all about? You know, when you see a brother doing something, a sister going a certain way. You want to encourage them. We need to be encouraging each other because we live in times when nobody could care, nobody could care less. Nobody cares about you. Do you know that? No one cares about you 
like God cares about you and about how the body of Christ should care about you. Everybody in the world, you notice that around Christmas time, it's such, a, it's such a, 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 an unfortunate thing. There's this false peace. Everyone's feeling good about the holidays, the spirit of Christmas. And you know, honestly, I love it too. It is. It's, it's one of those times a year where I, I'm really excited because for once, one time a year, or for a, a period of time, people are civil to each other and they're really nice. Even sacrificial sometimes, because they feel guilty inside. God has blessed me so much, and they, they want to do something. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but the thing is, is we have, to, um, we have to love each other, really love each other. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, notice, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And boy, what a witness that is when we love each other. Because we're real, we're not fake. Everyone around you in the world, especially those who don't know you or don't know the Lord, they mean well. And they may say the words, but, but you know, brothers and sisters, we have a connection with one another through Christ. He's the one who is in us. We have the same spirit of God in us if we're children of God and we can love each other and care for each other. And I'm growing in this too. And grow with me in it. Let's grow together in this. Such a good thing to really care, to really love because no else on the world will you find it. You find people caring for each other. You know, you see sometimes in, a, in, a, in an assisted living place, you got these elderly people there. And there's some people that are paid pretty well to take care of them. And they don't even do it. They don't do it with love. They're rash. They're short with them. They're angry. And yet, some of those people who are Christians, who are getting paid less, are doing a great job because they have the compassion, the love of God. And they go in there and they minister to someone. And that person knows the difference. They know the difference. When they come across a Christian who's really loving and compassionate, they're like, you know, you could pull the IVs out of my body, and I'll be just fine if I can have that person ministering to me. I could be going through physical agony, and as long as I can have that person who cares for me. It's a big deal. Let him who turns a sinner from the error of his way, he will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. I love what Jesus said. In Matthew chapter 18, he says, What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than the other ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so it is, not the will of your Father that is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. And that's just God's care. That's the way we need to be for each other. You see somebody, a a friend, a a loved one, a, a fellow Christian going in a certain direction, love them enough to tell them the truth. You know, sometimes uh in our in our culture, pride is so huge. You ever notice that? One of the things I'm asking the Lord to do in me, and I, and I know he's doing it, is just breaking down my pride. Because I'm full of pride. Every one of us are. But when somebody, and I want somebody to get on my case. 
if I'm doing something wrong, if I'm not adding up, if my life is not adding up to a child of God, I want somebody to come and tell me, you know what, Rob, you know, some okay things happening in your life, but this thing, <laughs> brother, you've got to deal with that. And if they say it to me in love, I, I receive it in love. And boy, how sweet are the wounds of a friend, right? Because that's a friend that you can trust. But a friend who tells me, oh, praise the Lord, brother, it's okay. There's really no iron sharpening iron, is there? And I really, they really have shown, they've proven that they really don't love me the way that they ought to. And the door swings the both ways, my attitude toward them, too. You know, if you do something lovingly to somebody and you, you mean it with sincerity, they get it. So we have to get out of ourselves. We have to lay down our pride to be able to do that. We have to inconvenience ourselves and say, Lord, I want to minister to this person, but you know, if I tell them this, Lord, they're going to get angry with me. Not always. That's why you pray beforehand. Pray. Pray beforehand. And then when you finally earn the, the right to go talk to them, then you talk to them and you realize it might have hurt them a little bit, but you've been thinking about it, you've been praying about it, and they can see it. They can see how you deliver it that you've been praying about this. And it, boy, what a wonderful thing it does in the heart. And what does that do? It builds us up. That friendship gets even more solidified where nothing can come between it. A threefold cord is not easily broken, right? And that's between a husband and a wife or perhaps two, between two friends. If you've got Christ in the center, the truth of God, boy, how that just brings people together. And that bond is so incredibly tight that nobody can sever it. No lie can take it away. Have you been lied about? Let's stand. Let's pray. Next week we're going to be beginning the uh, first Peter, the first chapter. We finished James. What a great book! A lot of exhortation. A lot of uh, it seems like in the book of James there just seems to be. Uh, so many things that just hit you right between the eyes. And I think that was his point. He was a hard hitter. He was a, he was a boxer, <laughs> James. Just every single area in our life, this book has just zoomed in and nailed each one of us on certain things. And it's so good for us, isn't it? I need to be reminded. I need to be encouraged. I need to be corrected. I need to be loved. Don't you need to be loved? To have compassion given, receiving Love given, love received. Be a conduit of God's love today, all throughout this week. And as we get into the other books and the chapters, let God love you. Let yourself be loved by him, regardless of your background. It doesn't matter. God doesn't care about what you have. Just come to him. You come to him, it's a one-step program. It's not a 10- or 12-step program. It's one step. You come to him, you get healed. You get ministered to. One step. She gets shirts, one step. Actually, I think they're already out there. But let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray, Jesus, that, Lord, you would encourage us to be patient and persevere in this culture that we live in. Lord, many going through difficulties, Father. So many in, in this body right now, in this room, so many people, Lord, struggling with so many things, physical, spiritual, emotional. And, Lord... We pray that you'd bring healing to each one. Lord, that you would shine and rain upon your church, not just here at Calvary Chapel of Rochester, but all over where brothers and sisters are calling upon your name in truth. 
Lord, that you'd meet everyone and that you'd encourage each one, that we might glorify you, Lord. We love you, and we thank you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time when Pastor Rob begins a study in the book of Deuteronomy. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office for ordering details. And that number again is 585-586-3140. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, ministry and contact information, our location and service times, and much more. You can even download the radio or sanctuary messages in MP3 format, free of charge, from the resources link. You can also listen to these messages on your mobile device by going to Calvary Chapel of Rochester on Google Play or Apple Podcasts. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until this same time tomorrow, This has been Truth in Christ.